our attention now to the readings from God's Word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Epistle lesson for this morning is found in 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, reading verses 5 through 23 this morning. This is God's Word. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age... Let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. We do give thanks. We rejoice in all that you have revealed to us. You've made yourself known to us, Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in all the good gifts of his work among us. And we ask now that that work would continue as we gather around your word this morning. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. At the beginning of the year, we began walking through Paul's short epistle to the church in Galatia, and we found there that it was a church that was under threat, that the threat was a conservative religious culture 
of false teachers who had arrived and were calling the church to do things beyond to have their faith in Jesus Christ. That they were to observe the Jewish law along with believing in Jesus in order to be made right with God. Paul, with polemic and power, denies this as a false gospel, and he says that to supplement Christ is to supplant Christ. Now we are considering Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and once again we have a church under threat. This time it's not from conservative religious forces, though, but rather it's from an uncritical accommodation of cultural standards that were being meshed with the gospel. And so in Corinth, there was this mode of Greco-Roman philosophy known as wisdom that was involved with some kind of knowledge of God, even some secret knowledge of God, and also with rhetorical forms, and that these culturally acceptable things were imported into the church and combined with the gospel. And this is what the church is under threat from, not conservative religious forces, but accommodated cultural values. And this wisdom was now reinterpreting the gospel. And Paul once again has to stand against it, that this is a distortion. And what we've seen so far is that an accommodated Christ, when we accommodate him, is, that is to compromise him. And this is the situation of the church. The church then and the church now. The church yesterday and the church forever. That the church is always in this vulnerable and precarious position where it's under attack from the right and from the left and that oftentimes we are our own worst enemy. That there are conservative religious impulses in us that work against the gospel and there are cultural standards that we bring into the church that dilute the gospel. And that we struggle with this and live in this precarious position of vulnerability. And it raises the question of how do we persevere? How do we protect the gospel? How do we make it? And in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul instructs the church to build very carefully. That they not use shoddy construction materials as they add onto the foundation that is, has been laid by him, which is Jesus Christ. And he warns them in verse 17. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so this is severe warning once again in language similar to what he uses in Galatia. And it begs the question that we have to ask is, how do we keep from destroying God's temple? How do we avoid those cultural accommodations that compromise Christ? How do we preserve and protect what God is doing among us through the gospel? And there's three things that we find in this third chapter of Corinthians to address this. The first one we find is in verses 5 through 9. We see that we are to boast in God and not men. This is 
what was happening in Corinth. One of the things that was dividing the church was in the teachings of wisdom that had been accommodated into their preaching of the gospel, that had created divisions, and they were dividing themselves up around their various leaders. So Paul asks the question, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? That these divisions were not the fault of Apollos or Paul, but there were schools of teaching and thought that were being created around them. And so they had torn the church all apart with their factions and their parties. And Paul is calling them to understand what the purpose and role of a minister is. And that's not to have a faction built around him. And so in verse 6 he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. What is Apollos? What is Paul? His simple answer is that they are servants. They are servants through whom you believed. So yes, God uses people in the execution of his work. But he's begging with them and pleading with them and pleading with us today that we understand the nature and relationship of that. That these are servants or field hands who go out and tend the crop. But they actually have nothing to do with whether the crop grows or not. Now, several years ago, I decided to take up gardening. I was in need of some therapy. I've not done it in Florida. It's too much water. (laughs) But when I lived in Arlington, Virginia, I'd started with a four-by-eight plot. And I did some research and study about how to create a hyper-rich garden. The French had actually cultivated some methods in cities due to the lack of space to grow things. And so you can create a hyper-rich garden by digging deep into the soil, adding composted horse manure, and you can create a little patch of four by eight that grows a tremendous amount of food. So I got turned on to this idea. I could plant four different things in this small sector, and it was amazing. With just a little bit of water, everything began to grow. Actually, the tomatoes were out of control. My favorite to watch was the green beans. I created a nice string system, and they began to go right up. I mean, it's amazing to watch how they know what to do. And I was so proud and delighted by my garden. I mean, here it was just working, just like I had planned, my hyper-rich soil of composted horse manure. And then I began to notice some browning taking place on my green beans. And I began to not find any tomatoes. And then one day I saw the culprit. I had a flock of bunny rabbits. (laughs) And they were invading my garden. And they had figured out how to get over the chicken wire. They couldn't jump over it. They would just barrel into it and then roll. And they had clipped my green beans at the bottom. (laughs) They, They had cut them at the very base and eaten it. And so, of course, it was dead then up the vine. And I realized very quickly that despite all of my intense planning and and research and then execution of building my nice four-by-eight hyper-rich garden, that I couldn't do anything about actually producing food and fruit from it. That yes, I had a role in it. There was some agency on my part. But actually, if I was dependent upon it, I wouldn't have made it. And friends, this is what every farmer or person in agriculture knows, that they have their part. And this is what Paul is saying to us in the church. 
that yes, Apollos and Paul have their role, that ministers have their role, but please do not confuse something. That there's important to separate the minister and the message, that the message is the word of God and possesses the power of God. It's the speech of God, and it is what gives the growth. It is he who does it. And so Paul says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And friends, at the heart of any healthy church, there is a recognition of the role of the minister, that yes, there is one who is appointed to preach, and there can be appropriate thanksgiving and, 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 and just appreciation for the ministry of the word, but then there's also always a relative appreciation because the minister doesn't make the show. This is God's role. This is what he does, that he speaks through his word and that the heart of a healthy church, we don't lose sight of that and we don't get lost in the personality and we don't get lost and dragged away by it. That's God who makes his word productive according to his mysterious power, like a seed sprouting up and growing and being preserved and protected and bearing fruit. An important question for us to ask is how do we know where we stand with this as a body? And I thought about that this week. How do you know where you stand with this? Whether your trust and confidence is in men or whether your trust and confidence is in God who gives the growth. And perhaps the diagnostic, perhaps the question for us to ask is how much do our prayers as we approach our Sunday mornings and as we approach our Bible studies and as we approach our devotions, how much do our prayers reflect this dependence upon God? Every week we have a prayer of illumination just prior to the sermon. And I use a line from 1 Samuel that says, Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. And friends, I mean it. And that's the, to capture our attitude and our sense of dependence upon God that he must speak and we must receive from him, that his spirit must grant us understanding as we saw last week in 1 Corinthians 2, that that dependence has to be at the heart of the church to receive God's word and for God's word to be productive, for it to bear fruit among us. And this is the first step that Paul drafts here about how the church remains dependent and how the church doesn't destroy itself and how the church maintains faithfulness to our Lord Jesus. The second piece we find in verses 10 through 15, and we see that we are to build the church with great care. Paul transitions the metaphors from being a field, an agricultural metaphor, now to that of a building. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And then he acknowledges that someone else is now building on that foundation. He doesn't critique them for building on the foundation. Actually, he says that God commissions us to do so. That the church is an ongoing project in which the church is to be built. And there's to be theological efforts. And there's to be construction. And churches are to advance. But what Paul says is that there is to be no other foundation that is laid, 
and that the building is to be in keeping with that foundation, square with it, and then the building materials are to be chosen very carefully. And Paul recognizes that there's going to be different kinds of construction. Some of it is going to be shoddy. And so he mentions a few materials. Some will build with gold, and some with silver, and some with precious stones. And then he mentions three that are more ephemeral. Some will build with wood, with hay, and with straw. And he's pointing out there that there's a problem in Corinth, that some of their leaders were building with wood, with hay, and with straw. And he says, on the great final day when our Lord Jesus returns, there's going to be an examination of the work of each and every church and what it was built with. Notice what he says in verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, the image of fire in the Bible is always one of judgment and also purification. And here it is testing to show the integrity. Obviously, the things that were lasting, the gold and the silver and the precious stones, are going to survive that, that it's going to gleam in all of its brilliance. But that which was done with shoddy constructive construction methods is going to be gone. It will be shown for what it is. And the question becomes, why is it so attractive then to build with wood, with hay, and with straw? This is what Paul accuses the leaders in Corinth of doing. That what they were doing is taking this accommodated cultural form of wisdom and they were mashing it together with the gospel and coming up with their own kind of syncretistic system. Why was that so attractive? It's really quite easy. It's attractive because it works. It makes sense. The Corinthians understood it. They understood what wisdom was, and suddenly it was something that they could accept. And friends, we have our own versions of this in American Christianity where there are cultural things that we import into the church and combine with the gospel, and it makes sense to us. It makes it easy to believe. It makes it something that we can get along with. And Paul is calling that construction method into question. And he says specifically to the leaders of the church, take care, exercise caution, about how you build. And friends, as a body, you have leaders who are responsible for that building. But then you as a church are responsible also to critically examine what those values are that inform the decisions that are being made. Are they in keeping with the foundation of Christ crucified? Are we building with quality materials that honor God, that seek His glory? Or are we building things that simply try to promote numbers and size and success and a name? Are we doing things that simply are accommodated to the culture? At the heart of every church, we have to be discerning, and we have to be incredibly wise, and this is what Paul calls the church to. And so first he says, don't boast in men and get lost in their ego. 
Know that it's God who gives the growth. And then secondly, he says that we are to build the church with great care. And when it comes to that building and construction of the church, there is a theological center that is never to be forgotten. Because some of you may ask, what, when you talk about wood, hay, and straw, what types of things are you discussing? It normally happens in very subtle ways in churches. When I was gra a graduate from college, I worked with a college ministry. It was a good college ministry that emphasized a particular strategy for making disciples on the campus. And so we, as young college students, read books and manuals about disciple-making. I cut my teeth reading books about, from the Navigators, about Dawson Trotman, and all kinds of great things. A couple of years after graduating, I began to note a dullness in my spiritual life, though. There was a certain hollowness, and I was experiencing some burnout. And so I went to a fellow Presbyterian minister who was a pastor in a church, and I asked him, said, what do I do about this? And he took some time over months to ask me questions and to explore it. And one of the things he asked me, he said, Chuck, how are the students under your care? How are they doing? And I said, well, if I'm honest, there's an incredibly productive corner there are people who are following the program of discipleship, and they get lots of people recruited and active, and it looks really good. But when I'm talking with my leaders, I know that inside they feel dead. They feel like they're just working a program. And if I'm being honest with you, that's what I feel as well. And he pointed out to me very wisely that, Chuck, it's because you're involved in a strategy and you're not really involved and invested with the living God. That you've gotten yourself caught up in a way of implementing things and working things out, and that has subtly trumped and triumphed your theological method and thinking. That it's all become about discipleship, and you've forgotten actually the very heart of what's going on, the foundation that has been laid in Jesus Christ, and you're not building in a way that's in keeping with that. People are now objects to you that you're using in order to build something and be successful. And the gospel is not living and breathing at the heart of your ministry. And so I want to call you back. And friends, that's what the church always has to remember, is to be called back to the foundation, to build in keeping with it, to build with beautiful things, to construct our life together with things that please and honor God and things that God loves. And so to work hard understanding what is it that God loves? What is it that God values? And what should we as a congregation be doing? And sometimes it won't make sense as to what the church values, as to what the culture around us values. We'll put things in a very different priority and we'll proudly do so. Even if immediately it doesn't mean that we gain numbers and success. Because our ultimate standard of evaluation, and let's be clear about this, is that great last day where what we constructed together is put to the fire. And is it pleasing to God? Not did it receive the accolades and attention of the world around us, but is it pleasing to God and was it built well in God's sight? 
Was it faithfully done? And so we're to build with great care. The final piece to this about how we as congregation work to protect God's temple and his work among us, found in verses 16 through 23, and we see that we are to embrace what is ours in Christ. Paul turns in verse 16 to ask some rhetorical questions. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is a famous verse that has been horribly misappropriated. As last week Ryan mentioned in 1 Corinthians 2, misused passages, this is one of them, unfortunately, because we tend to read that you as singular. Now, it is true that the Holy Spirit indwells your heart and is at work in you, but that is not what Paul is saying here. He says, do you know that you all, or in southern parlance, y'all, y'all are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And he's talking about when the church gathers together, when it's corporate assembly, that God's Spirit indwells us. And then he uses the language of the temple from the Old Testament. And this is provocative for a first century Jew to be using. It's a marvelous and monstrous claim that the temple was seen to be the place where heaven and earth collided and intersected and met. And do you see what he's saying about y'all? That you are the temple of the living God, the place where his spirit is, the place where heaven and earth collide and intersect, where the end of the ages have, been, have met up, even in the present old broken order of things. And Paul once again is reminding the Corinthians of all of the grace of God, what God has done on their behalf. So then he goes further. In verse 18, he says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And so he says, Humble yourself in light of this great grace. And then 21, So let no one boast in men. He's identifying here that core issue of what was happening in Corinth. And then he tells them why. Why it was silly to boast in Apollos. Why it was silly to boast in Cephas. Why it was silly to boast in Paul or whoever else. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. What he's telling them is that they're settling for far too little. That when you boast in your preacher and your minister and you think that the efficaciousness of God's word is all tied up in his ability and gift, you've flattened out the church. And you're actually not understanding the way that the church works. And you're not understanding God and how he works and who he is. And you're not giving him the right that you're settling for far too little because not only does that minister belong to you as a servant of yours, but everything belongs to you because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God, that Christ is your wisdom, Christ is your righteousness, Christ is your sanctification, Christ is your redemption as he emphasizes in chapter one. Everything is yours. And it's very similar to what C.S. Lewis says when we, rather than a holiday at the beach, we settle for making mud pies in the mud puddle. And friends, this is what we often do. And we fail to receive and embrace 
all that is ours. And then we distort it. And we become destroyers of the good gift that God gives us in the church. His holy temple, what is sacred to him. And so he's calling us not to boast in men, but to find our confidence in God. He's calling us to build in a way that's in keeping with the foundation, the apostolic foundation, proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he's king of kings and lord of lords, he's the ruler of the kings on earth over everything. And we submit to him, build with care. And he's calling us to embrace what is ours. The church in all of its vulnerability Exposed to errors on the left, exposed to errors on the right. In a way of complete dependence, this is the way of trusting in God, depending upon Him. Not getting lost in the horizontal elements of success and what the world values or in the world of men, but rather faithfully serving Him, seeking to build in a way that honors Him, Embracing what is ours, boasting in God who gives the growth. That's the way. That's what God wants for his church. So let's look to him and let's depend on him. Let's pray. Father, we recognize all the ways that on the right and on the left that we can accommodate the gospel and compromise it. And we do look to you in weakness and independence this morning, and we ask for your help. Work among us. Teach us what it is to boast in you and not in any man. Teach us what it means to build with great care, to honor you as we construct a church and its ministries according to your desires. Teach us what it means to embrace all that is ours in Christ that you haven't said that some things are ours, but everything is ours. And so may we know how to bring these truths into application in our corporate life together, because you dwell among us. We are your holy temple. Overwhelm us with this great truth and statement. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.